16, familiar verses. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to preach this morning until late Friday evening, and uh, that always unsettles me. I like to know when I step out of the pulpit on Wednesday night, I like to have an idea of what I'm preaching on on Sunday. Uh, but the Lord didn't reveal it to me until late this week. But I believe I'm right where the Lord wants us. Verse 13, when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name that you get our mind off the things of the world. I pray that you'd fix our mind on Christ. Lord, put our mind in the service today. I pray, God, that you'd give us clarity of thought and clarity of speech. God, just do that in our midst as only you can, and we'll thank you for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Through his blood we pray. Amen and amen. Gabe, whatever the heat, whatever the air condition's on, turn it down. I'm already breaking a sweat, and I ain't even started preaching yet. All right. Ladies, break out your blankets. It's about to be welcome to the Himalayas. Amen. What I want it on? What is it on now? 74. Lord, help. No wonder I'm sweating. Put her down there at least on 70. All right. Let's look at these verses together now. These are familiar verses, verses that you've heard preached from, no doubt, before. It's that great confession of Peter that the Lord was the Christ. So I'm going to deal with that here in just a moment. It's this, uh, it's this declaration of Peter upon which the foundation of the church lies. And we'll look at that here in just a little bit too. But when you study in Matthew chapter number 16, you'll find that our Lord's ministry was changing. The disciples had lent, had lent very hard upon our Lord's miracle ministry. He had fed the 5,000. He had fed the 4,000. They had seen him come through with miracles time and time again. In our scripture that is before us, if you'll read a little bit before here in uh, uh, the chapter 16, you'll find that the disciples here had left bread. They didn't have any food. Again, they were without food, leaning on our Lord's miracle ministry. But you see, the Lord's ministry was changing. He was trying to get these disciples to not focus as much on the miracles as they did on the message. And that's where we get to right here when he come to Caesarea Philippi. He's trying to focus them in on the message. Did you know this morning that man loves the miraculous? We love to see some great flashy and uh, some miraculous thing. That's what draws our attention. 
That's what draws our mind. We are like children. And uh, uh, Brother Allen read that scripture this morning. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. The infant church, the small church, the growing church was uh, childish in the things that they were attracted to. Here the Lord is trying to get them up beyond that. Now let me say this to you this morning. While I'm glad I serve a miracle working God, while I'm glad I got a Savior that can help me out of every situation, while I'm glad that I've got a God that loves me and cares for me in that way, I'm going to tell you what's more important than the miracles this morning, and that is the message. And that's what the Lord wants us to focus our eyes and our attention on, is the message that he has sent us in the Word of God. So here he's trying to focus them on the message. Now it's interesting how he does that. He asks them a question. The first question is this, whom do men say that I am? You know, he first wanted to know what others thought of him. Of course, he already knew, but he was trying to get the disciples to start thinking. The Lord expected the disciples, watch this, the Lord expected the disciples to have a feel for the community and their attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say that again because y'all didn't hear it. The Lord expected the disciples to have a feel for their community and what their attitude was toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I say that the Lord still expects Concord Baptist Church to have a feel for our community and what our attitude, what the community's attitude is uh, toward the Lord Jesus Christ? So the first question he asked them is, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, they piped up. They said, some say that you're John the Baptist. You know why I believe that some thought that Christ was John the Baptist reincarnated? It was because of their manner of preaching. John came out of the wilderness preaching, repent, repent, repent. You know what Jesus preached? Repent, repent, repent. And when they heard that message, they said, this is a message we have heard before. This has got to be John the Baptist. I believe the manner of preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ was a lot like John. Others said, well, they believe you're Elias. You know why I believe that the people thought that this was Elisha reincarnated was because of the miraculous power. Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament were two of the most powerful prophets. And when they saw the Lord Jesus Christ and the miracles that he was performing, the community at large naturally said, this has got to be Elias. I mean, look at the power he has. Look at this miraculous power. Still others said, maybe Jeremiah. This has got to be Jeremiah. I believe they thought that it was Jeremiah because of his manifest passion. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He wept and cried, and they saw Jesus weeping over the multitudes. And they said, look at his heart. Look at his compassion. Look how he's got a passion for mankind. Oh, this has got to be Jeremiah. But can I say to you this morning, friend? That Jesus was not like John the Baptist. Jesus was not like Elias. Jesus was not like Jeremiah. But instead, John the Baptist was like Jesus. Amen. Elias was like Jesus. Amen. Jeremiah was like Jesus. And so they said, you've got to be like one of those. 
And what the Lord did was he looked at them with those searching eyes. And he said, okay, I've heard you say who others say that I am. But he said, who do you say that I am? I want to ask this question this morning. I want to preach a little while on who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? On Friday, I took a man that wanted to look at some property that we have, and uh, we spent that after, we spent all day Friday transversing some property and come back down in Europe Wilson Road. And I told this gentleman, I said, we walk back up there to that White House. I'll take you in and show you the old White House that was Urit Wilson's house. He looked at me and he said, who was Urit Wilson to you? I said, well, he was my great granddaddy and started telling the story about who he was to me. Well, I began to think about that. I wonder by our lives who we say that Jesus is to us. I want to ask you that question this morning. Who is Jesus to you? Well, to some, can I say, he's a fairy tale. To some, I believe even some here at the church, he's just something they've read about in a book. It's no different than reading about Paul Bunyan, no different than reading about Huck Finn, no different than reading about any of the many different stories that they read about to them. It's pie in the sky. He's some sort of a fairy tale. He can't be real. And to them, he's not real. It's just something they've read about in a book, something that they go along with. And so to them, Jesus is no more than a fairy tale. And can I say to you this morning that to some of you, I believe that if you had to be honest, what you would say this morning is that he's a good luck charm. That's what he is to you. You say, preacher, I would never say that. Yeah, but by the way you live your life, that's how you treat him. To you, Jesus is no different than carrying a rabbit's foot in your pocket. To you, Jesus is no different than having a buckeye for good luck. He's somebody that you believe will bring you good karma or good luck or that will help, uh, help you in life somehow. And so to you, Jesus is no more than a good luck charm. There's people that I believe in this church that to you, Jesus is no more than a spare tire. He's somebody that you're going to pull out when everything goes wrong. When you're broke down on the side of the road, when the family has fell apart, when uh, the doctor gives you bad news, then you'll run to Jesus. To you, he's no more than a spare tire. You know I've heard and preached that for years, spare tire, using the Lord like a spare tire. When trouble comes, you get him out, slap him on, try to get back down the road. Something interesting happened to me a few months ago. We were actually coming by the church, and Rachel's new little car had a flat. And uh, we pulled off the side of the road, and I went and popped the trunk, get the spare tire out, and in a new Honda where they're should be a spare tire. There's just a styrofoam ring and a picture of a tow truck. Can you imagine that? That's what they put in the back of these new Hondas. They've got a place for a spare tire, but it's just a styrofoam ring that's got a picture of a tow truck on it. I thought, my, I saw. Paid all that money for this car. Don't even have a spare tire. 
But you know, Brother Marvin, I'm afraid that some people that use our Lord like a spare tire, one of these days are going to go pop the trunk and find out he ain't a spare tire God. That ain't, that ain't how he works. But to you that they may be a spare tire, we'll just pull him out, slap him on when we need him, when we don't need him, and we can cruise all right. We'll just keep doing what we're doing. I believe there's people in each one of those categories. He's a fairy tale. He's a good luck charm. He's a spare tire. But when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Now, Peter didn't always have the right things to say. But this was one time, buddy, he teed it up and knocked it over the fence. He said, thou art the Christ. The son of the living God. You see, Peter didn't mince no words. He said, you're the Christ. Now that was a mouthful for a Jew like Peter. Because I want you to understand something. From Genesis 3 all the way through the book of Malachi, there are some 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah, the Christ. Peter said to the Lord, I've looked at them all, all those prophecies, and I've watched your life, and I'm telling you the determination I've come to is that you're him. You are not a Christ, but thank God you're the Christ. It's kind of like this. Have you ever seen an army parade? All them soldiers standing on the side of the road as the commander-in-chief comes through, and they all salute or maybe they're marching in unison, and as they come by the grandstand, they turn and salute. You know what? All of the prophecies of the Word of God, oh boy, when Jesus come on the scene, every one of them prophecies, they saluted and said, that's Him. (laughs) That's Him. That's the one we've been looking for. That's the one we've been talking about. That's the one. Hey, I'm telling you, He fulfilled every jot and every tittle of the law. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I began to think about this. I know that for years man tried to live up the law and came short. You had the law towering over everything else. The law stood above everything else. Man tried to work their way up unsuccessfully. But one day, Brother uh, brother Allen, the law looked over and saw Jesus. And the law said, how did you get up here? And Jesus said, oh, I didn't come up. I came down. (laughs) Amen. Oh, yes. That's our Savior. And so Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want to ask you, who is he to you? Who is Jesus to you? And I'm going to point out about three things, and I hope the Lord really starts to touch our hearts right here because I believe he wants to do something today. First of all, can I say this morning that many of you want the forgiveness from sin, but you forget about his condemnation of sin. Who's Jesus to you? Oh, we all love it when he's forgiven us. We'll talk about that. We get over there uh, with the woman that was taken in adultery. It's one of our favorite stories in John 8. How that she was drug out in the very act. How that Jesus looked at them them Pharisees and said, You that are without sin, cast the first stone. And we can preach on that and everybody say, Hey man, hallelujah, preacher, that's me, praise God. I was in a mess. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. 
I'll tell you the part of that story nobody ever preaches on. And that's at the end when Jesus looked at her and said, go and sin no more. That's the part nobody ever preaches on. Everybody loves that forgiveness sign as well we should. Everybody loves that you that without sin cast the first stone. Everybody loves that part as well we should. But nobody talks about the go and sin no more part. And you see, everybody loves the Jesus that forgives sin. But how about the Jesus that condemns sin? Can I tell you this morning, they still are right and they still are wrong. And I'm going to tell you something. You listen to what I'm preaching this morning. What was sin 50 years ago is still sin today. I don't care how many uh, stars they give it, how many stamps of approval. I don't care what they call it. They can call it an alternate lifestyle. They can call it a, a, a choice to get out of a pregnancy. They can call it whatever they want to call it. All of these things that they're saying these days that are okay, they're still S-I-N. That's exactly right. I'll, I'll go to my grave believing it and preaching it because I know it's in that Bible. But you see, everybody loves the Jesus that forgives of sin, but nobody loves the one that says you're doing wrong. Oh, I feel like doing some preaching. I'm going to tell you something. Right's still right and wrong's still wrong. That's exactly right. And God expects better. Oh, we've preached Hollywood Jesus, warm and fuzzy, soft and touchy. And I'm glad he is all those things. He's long-suffering toward us. I'm glad he is. I'm going to tell you, he's still God Almighty. He still judges sin. And he still looks at us after he forgives us and says, now go and sin no more. He still has an expectation of us how to live a higher life and to live holy and do right. That's exactly right. We cheapen him. We cheapen him by the way we live. I've pastored a long time, and I'm going to tell you something. I've seen something in my eyeballs. I've seen you pull out of these pews and come up here and cry in big old crocodile tears. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Thank God for that. But then how do you live tomorrow? It's a smack, it's a smack in our Lord's face to cry crocodile tears in this altar and then go out and do the same thing tomorrow that we cried crocodile tears about on Sunday. Let's say, for, let's say for an instance, let's just for an instance, let's say that I went out and committed adultery against my wife. And I came to her and I said, I'm sorry. And I cried and I begged her forgiveness. And we reconciled and she said, that's fine. I forgive you. Do you think she would understand if I went out the next day and committed adultery again? You think she'd go, oh, well, you know, that's okay. Or would that be an absolute smack in her face? Now, I'm just, I'm just doing some preaching. It's the same way when we go and beg God for forgiveness and then go out the next day and do the same thing we ask him to forgive. It's a smack in his face. You see, we all love that forgiving God, and we love to sing about that forgiving God, and we love that forgiving Jesus, but what about that Jesus that says right's right and wrong's wrong and do right? If all the stars fall out of heaven, do the right thing, and when you do the wrong thing, it's the wrong thing. Oh, me, amen, God help us. 
I was thinking yesterday about Manasseh. Manasseh was more wicked than all the other kings combined before him. And you know what, you know what Manasseh did? It's interesting. He built those groves. He instituted baby... Uh, uh, they took babies and threw them to the fire. He instituted baby sacrifice and the worship of Baal, which is most of the ungodly, sensual religion on earth. And I'm telling you, we're living through it again. Now we are. We're living. Bless goodness, we're living through it again. Society is flocking to that mess, and. You can say it's all right and everything's okay and they can explain it any way they want to explain it. But I'm going to tell you, right's still right and wrong's still wrong. And that same Jesus that does the forgiving also condemns sin. And it don't matter if it's you doing it or if it's me doing it or if it's everybody in the church doing it. I don't care if the whole church is doing it. It doesn't make it right. We could get together and have a vote and decide something's right. That doesn't matter if this book says it's wrong. Paul told that Philippian church, walk by the same rule. What is our rule? It's this book. You mark me down with the crowd that if the Bible says it's right, it's right. And if the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. Whether I live up to it or not, I will stand with what this book says. So there's those that they want the forgiveness of sin, but not the condemnation of it. Some of you have confessed that. I'm, I'm getting ready to do some preaching now. Listen to me. Some of you confessed that same sin 500 times. When are you going to really repent of it? Don't you think God gets tired of hearing, oh, Lord, I did it again? Don't you, get, don't you think he gets tired of that? Why can't, why can't you get to the point where you really repent, and that is to make a 180 and turn from it and say, I'm done with that. I'm putting that in the rear view mirror. I'm pressing toward what's the I'm not. I'm not doing that. I am done with that. Instead of again and again, trusting the goodness and faithfulness of God, you see what's happening? You're taking advantage. If I did Billy wrong, I'm stuck right here just a minute, but let me deal with it. If I did Billy wrong, and then I went to Billy, and I said, Billy, I'm sorry, I wronged you. And Billy said, that's okay. I said, whew, Billy forgave me. And I know Billy's a forgiving guy, so I'm going to do him wrong again tomorrow. And I went to him again tomorrow, Billy, I'm sorry, I wronged you again, I'm sorry. Billy said, okay, that's okay, I, I forgive you. I'm glad Billy's so forgiving. I'm going to do him wrong again tomorrow. And then I go tomorrow, I'm sorry, Billy. Billy said, okay, I forgive you. I'm glad Billy's a forgiving guy. Now, if you guys were watching that relationship, what would you say about it? You'd say, Bradley, you're taking advantage of Billy. Billy's forgiving and you know it, but you hadn't ought to take advantage of him being forgiven like that. At some point, you ought to start doing right by Billy. And you'd be exactly right by telling me that. Well, how is our relationship with the Lord any different? Just because he's forgiving, we feel like we can just do it over and over and then just run back? Don't you see you're taking advantage? 
You're taking advantage of his forgiveness and his law. And I'm glad he forgives over and over again. And I'm glad he's long-suffering, but it don't make it right for me to take advantage of that. And so there is those that love the forgiveness but hate the condemnation. Let me give you this secondly. There are many of you that want his blessings in life, but then you neglect his leadership for life. Here's what we do. Y'all ready? Lord, this is the way I'm going. Bless it. And the Lord says, go a different way. No, I'm going this way. Just bless this way. The Lord said, no, I want you to go this way. No, I want you to bless. I, this is the way I want to go. And so this is the way I'm going. But Lord, you bless it. And then when calamity comes, what do we do? Why does God not try to take care of me? Why has this got to happen to my life? Well, because you ain't going his way. Oh, boy. Old Naaman got le- leprosy over there in the king's. And he was told by the man of God to dip seven times in the Jordan. Naaman said, I'm too good to dip in the Jordan seven times. His servant said, sir, why wouldn't you just try it? Why wouldn't you just try it God's way? If you want the blessings of God, do what God said. That's simple enough, isn't it? You say, well, I just want God to bless my life. I want God to use, let me tell you what the book of Proverbs said. Solomon, while instructing his uh, son in Proverbs chapter number three, he said, in all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now, some of you want God just to bless your mess. Matter of fact, I've seen that hanging in people's homes. And you may have it in your home, and if you do, I ain't picking on you because I ain't seen it in your home. But I have seen it in other people's home. Big sign. Bless, Lord, bless this mess. That ain't how God works. I don't get to just live however I want to and still enjoy the blessings of God on my life. You've got to follow God if you want His blessings in life. Can I say to you that so many have done this in the area of marriage. They decide who they want to marry and they're going to get married. And bless the Lord, I'm going to marry them no matter what. And then they marry them and say, all right, now bless this, Lord. And the Lord's saying, I didn't tell you to marry them to start with. Seriously, nobody could bless you living with that person. I'm sorry, but it's an impossibility. See, we've got to search out God's will at every turn if we want God's blessings. Why ain't God blessing me, preacher? Why? Maybe it is you ain't walking where he says to walk. I'm preaching somebody. So are those those that love the forgiving side of Jesus, but the condemning side, they just take advantage and take advantage and take advantage. They just pay no attention to that condemning of sin where Jesus said, go and sin no more. Then there are those that they want to just live their life, walk the way they want to walk, do what they want to do, and bless the Lord, you better help me, Lord, and if you don't, I'm going to be pouting and mad at you. Thirdly, I'm done. I'm going to give an altar call. Thirdly, there are those that want to recognize 
Jesus as our Lord and Savior and our friend, but they forget that he's King of kings and Lord of lords. One of the biggest problems that I have gotten with modern Christianity, all of this modern Christianity is based around God being your buddy. And while I'm glad God is my friend, I'm going to tell you something. He ain't just some pal. The Lord Jesus is the Lord Jesus. And he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Let me ask you something. What happened to our reverential awe of an almighty God? You know what the Bible said? The Bible said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know why we live in the most unwise time that we've ever lived? It's because there's no fear of God. Even Christians no longer fear the Lord. I can remember years ago when when my pastor would call me off and he'd, he'd say, now, I believe the Lord spoke to my heart. He'd tell me something. Strike me with fear. Scared me. And I'm going to tell you something. Over the last year, over the last year, a couple of different times, the Lord's moved on my heart about a situation with families that come to this church. And I've spoke to them about it. And I have seen them just go. I've seen them just go. Let me tell you something. In some of those situations over the years, I've shot warning shots and said, here's what the deal is. Took people in my office, some down, here's what the deal is. And I'll tell you what I've noticed. I've noticed that God's doing exactly what God said he would do. What I'm going to tell you is that when that book says it, it ought to strike our hearts with fear. Oh, it's one thing for me to say things. I pop off my mouth all the time. Hang around me. I'll say something. Huh? Have you ever been around me? Oh, boy. Just ask Rachel. There's times that I say things. Last night we were sitting at Sweet Frogs in Johnson City, and there was another preacher. I didn't know who he was, but he was sitting at the next table, and he was talking about church stuff. And uh, he was trying to give a good advice to a fellow across the table from him, but his advice was terrible. And... Uh, I told the kids there at the table, I said, that's not good advice. Reagan said, say it a little louder. Say it a little louder. Because she's like me. She likes, you know, stir the pot. I said, no, that ain't none of my business, really. I'll stay out of their business. But when that Bible says it, it ought to strike our hearts with fear. What happened to that? Why ain't nobody at the church afraid of God no more? I'm going to tell you something. I've seen God do some things with my own eyes. Okay? Miss Karen, would you, and without getting too deep into it, would you agree with me that God can take somebody out of this world? Seen that happen with your own eyes, didn't you? I've heard her tell the story. You see, there ought to be a little reverential fear of God. 
That's the reason going back to my first point when we just offend and offend and offend on the same point and just run back and say, I'm sorry, God. What it boils down to is we have no fear of him anymore. We have no fear. I'm going to tell this story and then I'm going to give an altar call. I believe the Lord wants to work in some hearts. When I was um, 16, me and my friends cooked up a, we hatched up a plan. We decided one night that we would go to see the late movie. But we knew that our parents would never let us go. And so one of my buddies, Stephen, his parents were out of town. And so I told my mom and dad that Stephen's parents were in town and we were all going to stay at Stephen's house. And we'd done it a thousand times and they said, that's fine. It's before the days of cell phones. I know some of you kids don't realize there was a pre-cell phone time, but there was. We drove out and watched the late movie. I don't even remember what we watched. We got done at like 11 o'clock. That was way late to be in Asheville for our age. We couldn't believe it. We'd never been out there that late. We thought my mom and dad clueless. You know, they're done in the bed asleep. So we come up with this idea. We were going to go to UNCA and see some college girls. Because college girls are interested in 16-year-old boys, you know, so... We got lost trying to get to UNCA, ended up on a gravel road. Long story short, when we finally found 1923 again, it was about 1 o'clock in the morning. So we hatched up another idea. We decided we would go to the buckhouse. During those days, you know, everybody went to the buckhouse. It was haunted. We were going to go to the buckhouse. Stay out all night. Middle of the night in the buckhouse, what could go wrong? So, but we decided we didn't have any flashlights. And so Stephen said, we got some flashlights at my house. Let's go back to my house and get some flashlights. And then we'll go to the buckhouse. Well, about the roller rink, I seen a vehicle coming. I thought, you know, at that time of night, you didn't meet nobody. That Then we passed that truck. I told my friends, I said, that was my daddy. And they said, how do you know? I said, because the hair stood up on the back of my neck. (laughs) I know. We turned in right there at Mountain Heritage and turned around. Here come that old truck back up the road. And I said, oh. I said, boys, I hate to break it to you, but we're in for a whooping. One of my friends in the back was one of the toughest boys in school. I mean, he was tough, tough boy. I heard him start going. (laughs) I said, Tracy, what's wrong? We're in so much trouble. We'd never been in that much trouble in our lives. Daddy got out of the truck. I won't repeat what he said. I grew up most of my life never hearing my daddy curse, but when he did, he made it count. We all knew the seriousness of the situation. The gravity of the trouble we were in. I don't recall. Now my dad, me and my dad was all, all, have always been close. We's buddies and we's friends. But I don't recall ever having been more scared before or since than I was that night. And it wasn't just that I was afraid he'd kill us. I was a little afraid of that. But it was that I knew I had disappointed him.
and he'd always been good to me. What happened to that kind of respect for the Lord? Why is it that we're all the time worried about this or that? Why can't we just think to ourselves, you know, I'm afraid I've disappointed my father. And he's a great, big, powerful God, and he's loved me and took care of me, and I'm ashamed. I'm just ashamed how I acted. There's been times over the years where I look back on what I've done, and I think I'm just ashamed of how I acted. You know why? Because I know I let my father down and I know my father has always took care of me and he deserves better than for me to treat him the way I've treated him. Some of you this morning, oh, you love that forgiving God, but what about that sin condemning God? Are you taking advantage of him? Doing the same thing over and over again to smack him in the face. I'll do it again tomorrow, Lord. Maybe today would be the day to say, Lord, preacher's right. That sin that I keep coming to you about, that same old sin, I got to get done with that. Because all I'm doing is taking advantage of you being a forgiving God. Let's stand our feet. Father. Lord, we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit right here stealing the service. I don't know who I'm preaching to. don't know who I'm preaching to. But Lord, you know. I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would speak to hearts. That you'd ask the question, who do you say that I am? By the way you live your life, who do you say that I am? I pray that you'd move some folks around this altar today to do some business with you. We'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. By your life, who do you say that he is? You say, preacher, this this morning I want to be honest. There's times that I take advantage of his compassion. There's times I take advantage of his forgiveness. I don't want to, but I do. I want to come get around that altar. These are coming. Others are moving. Preacher. I want to come and ask the Lord to forgive me of all those times that I've taken advantage of him being a loving God. So many times he's loved me and took care of me in spite of myself. I'd like to just come gather around that altar and tell the Lord I'm sorry. I want to do better. I want to live to please him. Some of you say, preacher, this morning I want to come and ask the Lord to help me have that reverential awe of him. I want to see his grandeur again. Preacher, I, sometimes I get too comfortable with him and I'd like to see his grandeur again. I'd like to see him as big and mighty. I'd like to see him as great again. Oh, I want to come gather around my altar and ask him, Lord, Help me just to see, him as, see you as big and great again. Oh, boy. Folks still coming. God's working in hearts. God's working in hearts. That's why we come to church. That's why. Working in our hearts.